Grab your Bibles, if you will. And we are in Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 18 down to verse 26 today. As we talk about courage, no matter what, even if the no matter what is our very death. I don't know how much time you've spent wondering about your own mortality and the day that you will die. Uh, not just how long you're going to live, but the day that you're going to die. And if you've ever wondered uh, if you can know that, you can. There are a number of websites online that will help you figure that out. Uh, they're called Death Estimators. And uh, for the, I just discovered this. I, 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 I was able to get on one of those websites. And what you do is they, they ask you, you know, maybe your name and give you a, a, ask for a few factors like, how, you know, when were you born, your height, your weight, where you live, because part of the world that you live will have an impact on how long you will live, whether you drink or if you smoke. And you pop in all of this information, and then bam, you have your death date, all right? And so I, I tried, the first one I tried, uh, go ahead and mark your calendars um, for this date, uh, whether it's a celebration or morning, and, you know, don't clear out your calendar, June the 21st, 2055, all right? That's uh, 33 years, years from now. Uh, I tried an, another website, it, it, it said uh, August of 2036, just 14 years from now. I'm going to go with the first one if that's okay. Um, you are going to die. It's inevitable. You and I, we are mortals, we, we have flesh and blood that will not live forever. You're going to die. It, it may be later, it may be sooner, but you're going to die. But Christian, let me ask you, are you afraid of that day? Are you afraid of dying? Or do you have courage to keep going on no matter what? And can you do so with joy, knowing you're going to die? Well, that's the challenge we're going to find in our passage of Scripture today. And I want us to jump right into it uh, because there's so much. In fact, the, the entire book of, of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote, it is so embedded with great and rich truth. We, we could spend years in this book, um, but unfortunately we can't do that. So we're, we're going to be looking at a very intense passage of scripture. Uh, there's a lot to share even in this day. We're going to do the best that we can in the time that we have it. So why don't you stand with me and let's read this passage together. I know you just had a seat. This will be the last time for a few minutes. All right. So stand up with me as we honor the reading of God's word beginning in verse 18. Halfway through it, it goes like this. Paul is writing and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. I just want that just to lay on you for just a moment because he's saying I'm rejoicing, but look what he gets into beyond this. He starts talking about dying. He says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by, say it with me, death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I, cannot, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, between living and dying. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Hear it again. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Lord, I know this world fears death. And Lord, while we may not long for it in the immediate moment, we should not fear death. Not that death is a good thing, Lord. We know that death is a curse. It is a consequence of rebellion, disobedience, and sin against a holy God. And yet, Lord, we know that you can, you can bring, about this, uh, bring about good out of this bad thing. Because we know that because you died and you came back to life, that when we die, it is not our ultimate ending, but it is but the beginning of life eternal in your presence. So Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to press on no matter what we face, even if it is our own death, and to do so with joy, knowing what you have provided in front of us. So speak, Lord, as we open up this text. Encourage us by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have your seat. As we return to the study of the book of Philippians and the series we're calling No Matter What, throughout this book, Paul is encouraging his initial recipients, the, the believers in Philippi, but now us, as this is God's word not just to them, but to, to his entire church, he's encouraging us to find thanksgiving and joy no matter what we face, even if it is the worst kind of circumstance. As Paul says in the text, he says, I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage have Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so he's encouraging the Philippians and us to have joy no matter what and to have courage no matter what. And that's because we, the reason why we can have joy is that because we trust what God has done in the, in, through the gospel and for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. But listen... You can only have joy if you're not fearful. If you're fearful, there will be no joy. So no matter what we face, if we are in Christ Jesus, we can rejoice in the Lord even if we face death because we do not fear death itself. In Paul's own circumstances, he knew that, that death could come against him uh, and come for him at any moment. Remember, he is, he is incarcerated. He's in jail. He doesn't know the ending of, of his time there. He doesn't know how the ending of that's going to turn out. Will he be released or will he be marched out and executed at the will of Caesar? And yet Paul still courageously states in verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. And so just as he does from the beginning of the letter and he'll repeatedly do throughout this letter, Paul is continuing to rejoice. So how in the world can we find joy in such difficult circumstances. Our circumstances may not be Paul's circumstances, but we all have our own set of difficulties from time to time. And so how can someone like Paul find joy knowing that he might not even survive his current situation? And yet, as we saw last week, Paul was observing God at work in his life, even th when things were tough, even when people came against him and, and meant harm for him. He knew that God was at work, and for that reason, and, and no other reason, he knew there was no reason to fear, nothing to fear. And he declares that you and I, we can have courage no matter what, even if the what is death. So how is that possible? Well, we've got to get over our fears related to death, 
Because as Christians, death is not the end of us. Death should not be that big of a concern. And so I want to share with you, if I can, for a few minutes, the, the why and the how. Three things, in fact, that we're going to pull out of this text. Three challenges for you and for me. Uh, based on what Paul is sharing with us here, to, uh, ways in which we can have courage no matter what. And in order for that to happen, there are three things. One, you and I should remember the ending. If you want to have courage in this moment, even in, if in the moments that follow will be the last breath that you draw in this world, it'll be the last uh, moments of your heart beating in this life, you need to remember the ending if you want to have courage and joy in facing it. Because whatever you're facing right now, even if it is literally death, it's not how things will be forever. So often we get so focused on this moment as if the whole world is crashing down upon us and that what we are experiencing right now will always be. But friend, remember that the ultimate outcome of your life is not what you're experiencing right now, but it is salvation, it's deliverance. Look at how Paul puts it in verses 19 and 20. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. And there is that phrase again, that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You and I, were going to die. Everyone dies. Now listen, I know there are a couple of people that in the scriptures that did not die. We know Enoch and his story about how he was no more for the Lord took him. And we know the story of Elijah, how uh, the Lord brought him to heaven in a chariot of fire. God just took them. But it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen to you and me. Everyone else from that moment to this, they've lived and then they will die or have already died. And so like, more than likely, you and I were going to die. And that's not the most encouraging thought if we're not thinking spiritually. But sp thinking spiritually, as Christians, the fact that we're going to die is actually a, a good thing. It's an encouraging thing. And that's because as believers in Christ, we have a unique perspective. We are confident. We know with certainty, with expectant hope, that there is life beyond this life. And we know that no matter what, that victory over death will come. We will be delivered and we will be saved. Now listen, I've counseled as a pastor many a person with a terminal disease. We pray for their healing. We ask for the Lord's intervention. But I will tell you, many, many times, often, someone who has received that terminal diagnosis often dies. Physical healing isn't found. But I'm not discouraged. And these believers that we are praying for who have the illness are not discouraged. Why? Because they know that ultimate healing is still going to come that God will answer that prayer. Maybe not in the way that we were praying in the immediate sense, but ultimately it will come. And that's why we can have courage no matter what, because we all know how it ends. Now listen, a lot of books have been written about the ending of days, about how God wraps up everything in the end. A lot of disagreements, especially over the details. But Paul's going to make mention of a couple of truths here about the ending that are indisputable. And here's the first I want to point out to you based on what we read here in verses 19 and 20. One of the indisputable facts is that for Christians, we will be saved. Again, I don't, by we, I'm not saying everyone, but just those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 as Paul makes that statement about his own situation when he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. 
You may not realize it, but when Paul makes that statement, this, is, this will turn out for my deliverance, Paul is choosing this phrase quite purposefully. He's actually quoting an Old Testament verse. He's quoting Job, Job 13, 16 to be precise. You know Job's story. Remember how Job, uh, God, uh, Satan comes to, to the Lord and, and asks to test Job and, and the Lord allows it. And as a result of this, Job loses just about everything that's dear to him in life, his, his children, his servants, his, his property, his health. Uh, and yet, through all of that, we're told that Job did not sin, but the, nor did he curse God. He kept trusting the Lord. Well, there is a, a spirit of hopeful expectation in Job that Paul is trying to capture when he quotes him. Job knew that no matter what, he's ultimately going to be delivered. He himself may die first, or he may live for many more years, but he still saw God as his salvation, as his deliverance. And that's Paul's disposition as well. He knew that no matter what happened to him, whether he lived or died, ultimately he would win anyway. That word deliverance, it can be translated as preservation or, or salvation. And it's a word that Paul often used to describe the final deliverance that we will have on the day of judgment. And so Paul, when he is saying, look, I know this is all going to turn out for my deliverance, he's probably not talking about his current incarceration in jail. He wasn't talking about his immediate salvation. He's not talking about being delivered and the gates of that jailhouse opening up. He's looking on down the road one day to that final outcome, a future deliverance. It's similar to what Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he wrote these words in verse, 14, uh, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so whatever you're facing, Christian, I, I don't know what you're going through right now, but hear me. Whatever you are journeying through at this moment, even if what you face is death, Paul would say, yes, and that, that's just a momentary affliction. It is merely temporary. Ultimately, you're going to be delivered from it. Maybe in this life, maybe not. Maybe it is in the life that is to come. In fact, ultimately, it will be in the life to come, but only if you are in Christ Jesus. By the way, before we jump past this, this little set of verses, I don't want you to miss the source of Paul's confidence of why he had hope and joy no matter what, why he knew that he would be delivered. It was because of two things he mentions. He talks about the prayers of the saints and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers... This will turn out for my de deliverance. Part of the why that Paul knew that he could have confidence no matter what, encourage no matter what, because he knew that Christians, fellow believers, were praying for him. And for that, that gave him great comfort. There is something about the prayers of the saints being lifted up for other believers in Christ. Never, ever, ever underestimate the importance of praying for one another, especially for those who are facing death. I once had a church member who, who was suffering from cancer say this, when people tell you that you are praying for, for you, there is power in that. And I believe that to be true. And so church, let's pray for one another because we're all going through circumstances. We're all going through the, the, the no matter what, right? And so if we're going to have courage as we journey, it's helpful to know that we're lifting one another up in prayer. But you know, their prayers weren't the only thing that gave Paul encouragement. It also came from the Holy Spirit as he said that I know through your prayers and the help of the, Holy, of, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance. Now I know it doesn't say uh, the, the Holy Spirit but it is a reference to the Holy Spirit 
The Spirit of Jesus Christ is just another way to describe the Holy Spirit, remembering that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And, and so with the help, the, the supply of the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, when, as we face death, the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit supplies us. So as, uh, as we're going through our suffering, as we're going through this journey, uh, He does so so as to magnify Jesus. And since the Holy Spirit is God, we, that means that God Himself is helping us. And so all that we need as we are journeying through our, our, our difficult pathway, uh, as, as believers, it is supplied to us by the Holy Spirit. He is always sufficient, He is always there, and He is always there to meet the need. Friend, listen, your health or the health of a loved one uh, may be very fragile at this moment. You're praying, they're praying. Maybe you or they have a terminal disease, a terminal cancer, or maybe there's a neurological disease that is afflicting you, or, or you've got chronic uh, heart failures that keep coming upon you, or, or liver disease, or renal failure, or whatever it may be. Perhaps you've consulted with the top physicians in the United States, but you need to know that your greatest resource are not those well-educated physicians. Your greatest resource of confidence for your ultimate deliverance is God Himself, the Holy Spirit. He is your salvation. He is the one to help you find joy no matter what and no matter how your life turns out or your health in this world. So don't fear the outcome. Instead, be hopeful. You, we, will be delivered. Now, knowing that ultimately we'll be delivered is, is an, a, a hopeful and encouraging thought. But also note this, in it that Christ will be honored. Verse 20. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here Paul is demonstrating for us a very helpful trait here. It's his ability to look beyond his immediate circumstance and look beyond to the inevitable future. And for him, it was his eager expectation, that, that, that idea, by the way, to, to, to eagerly expect gives the idea of a, of a watchman on the wall, uh, watching over and protecting, but he's looking into the distance and he's eagerly waiting, peering out into the distance. Here's how Paul is looking at things. He's, he's eagerly, with anticipation, looking into the distance of the future, and because of what he is seeing, he's able to have courage no matter what, because he was able to look beyond death, even his own death, beyond that immediate moment, and look beyond it all to the ultimate outcome that will come in Christ. And his expectation is that Christ would be honored whether Paul lived or whether he died. And that mattered far more than what Paul experienced. Paul was good with either one. Let me ask you, the day will come when you will die. You might live, you might not die on that day, but will you be good with either one? See, Paul understood that his life was not his own. He had surrendered his life to Christ. His life and ultimately his death were in Jesus' hands. And so whatever Jesus wanted to do with his life, Paul was good with it. You want me to live, Jesus? Fine. You want me to die? Fine. I'm good with it. What was it to him if Christ deemed it necessary for Paul to die in prison? After all, Paul had surrendered his life to Christ on the road to Damascus. And because of his complete surrender to Jesus, Paul could say, I will not at all be ashamed. But can you say that with confidence? as you face your own mortality? Or are you holding on to your life and the life of your loved ones too tightly? Sure, we believe in Jesus. Yes, we believe that He is God. 
Yes, we claim that Jesus is our Lord, and most of the time we, 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 we're living in a different mindset. We're living as if we're in control, that this is our lives. So how are you living your life? Are you acting as if you own your life? If so, the day will come when you will be ashamed to stand before Jesus. Instead, I would encourage you to remember the words of John when he wrote these words in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in Him, live in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence. Not ashamed, but we will have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. See, when you completely surrender your life to Jesus, when you give Him your all, you don't have to worry what He's going to do with it. You don't have to worry what happens to you. You don't have to worry whether you live or you die when you put Christ above everything else, you give Him the glory both in life and in death. As Paul says, with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That word honored, by the way, is an interesting word. It's the word, uh, it's transliterated out of the Greek as megas, you know, where we get the word mega. The word megas means to make great, it means to enlarge, to make glorious. And so when Paul says in these words that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or death, he was saying, look, the, the whole point of life, of your life, Christian, listen, if you want to know why you exist and why, what, what, what you should be doing with your life, your whole life should be about making a big deal about Jesus. It's about honoring him. Everything else is, is secondary. The, the rest is just gravy beyond that. The meat of your life is to make a big deal about Jesus to give honor and glory to Him, even if that means giving up your life to do so. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've shepherded a few folks through terminal illnesses and diseases, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive to it. Uh, we've had it in our own family, but I'm particularly sensitive when I discover a pastor who is often shepherding others through these journeys when he himself goes through a difficult illness, a terminal illness, you may be familiar, familiar with the name Matt Chandler. He, was, he is the pastor of a very large church, the Southern Baptist Church in Texas, the Village Church. And A few years ago, he was facing a, a crisis with, with cancer. He was 35 years old at the time, married with a wife and kids. and uh, He was even then emerging as a well-known pastor, preacher. They have probably 10,000 people that attend his church uh, on a given Sunday these days. But on Thanksgiving in 2009, he, he collapsed with a seizure. Ultimately, as they began to do the testing, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And the prognosis was this, within two to three years, you're going to be dead. You have two to three years to live. Now, they, they, they said, we're going to try some, some radical procedures. In fact, they did a radical surgery on his brain. He endured heavy radiation for a time and chemo treatments. And the, the long story short is this, praise God he's cancer-free and has been for well over a decade. However, it was going through that journey as I was watching and reading and, and praying for him, uh, I, I came across this, this accounting of his journey. It was written in a, uh, the Dallas Morning News about his condition. And here's what, it, what the paper read. It says, Chandler is trying to suffer well. Can you just imagine suffer, suffering well? Chandler is trying to suffer well. He would never ask for such a trial, but in some ways he welcomes this cancer. He says he feels grateful that God has counted him worthy to endure it. Can I just read that again to you? Here's a man that is a young man at the time, wife, kids, a th growing, thriving church, a great ministry in front of him, 
stricken with a cancer that the doctors say you're going to die from. And his statement is he feels grateful that God has counted him worthy to endure it. Oh, dear Lord, I pray that I would have that kind of trust and faith and attention toward the Lord to have the same attitude and mentality as he did. It's such a godly response. But you know, that's not how we often respond. I think the problem when we don't respond that way is that we hold too tightly to this life, and that's because we fear the outcome more than we should. Remember, when we, even though we face death in this life, we will be saved. That's the ultimate outcome. And as a result, Christ will be honored if we are surrendered to Him. So that's the very first point. That was a lot, right? Remember the ending. We will be saved. Christ will be honored. Here's the second major point, and it's this. As you're facing maybe even death, whatever it may be, if you want to have courage and, and have joy in the face of death, see death for what it is. Now listen, I know it's natural that we as human beings, we have this fear of death. Believe it or not, that fear of death has been given to you by the Lord so that you would fight for your life. You know, we, we, we shouldn't be so trivial with, 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 with death uh, that we don't fear it. But at the same time, we cannot have a preoccupation with death, and so many people are. I heard a story of an evangelist who was uh, preaching at a church, and he, he asked the, the congregation, who wants to go to heaven? And everybody in the room raised their hand, everyone but one guy. And the evangelist noticed him, and he, and he said, Sir, you mean to tell us you don't want to go to heaven? And a man said, Well, sure I want to go, but the way you put the question, I figured you were getting up a, a, a van load tonight, and so I wasn't ready to go. Who, who wants to go to heaven, by the way? I, I want to go to heaven, right? All right, don't answer this out loud. Don't raise your hand. Who wants to go to heaven today? That's a different question, right? We all want to go to heaven, but maybe not today. And the reason why that may be is we feel like we've got stuff to do, but for others, we just flat out fear death. We want to go to heaven, but most people don't want to die to get there. It's like what Woody Allen reportedly said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? <laughs> people are fearful of death, and the reason why that is is mostly because death seems so final. Let me just read to you some words of an atheist, Greta Christina, who wrote this about death. She said, death can be an appalling thing to think about, not just frightening, not just painful, it can be paralyzing. The fact that your lifespan is an infinitesimally tiny fragment in the life of the universe and that there is, at the very least, a strong possibility that when you die, you disappear completely and forever, and that in 500 years, nobody will remember you, and in 5 billion years, earth will fall into the sun. This can be a profound and defining truth about your existence that you reflexively repulse, uh, that you flinch away from and refuse to accept or even think about, cons consistently pushing it to the back of your mind whenever it sneaks up for fear that if you allow it to sit in your mind, even for a minute, it will swallow everything else. Death can make everything you do and er anything anyone does seem meaningless, trivial to the point of absurdity. It can make you feel erased, wipe, wipe out joy, make your life seem like ashes in your hands. That's how an atheist sees death. But you know, we're not atheists. We're not agnostic. We, we are people of faith. And while there may be many out there, and it's a growing group that sees life without the existence of God and that death is ultimately what she's just described so many people do not have a proper view of death 
but not so with Paul. He saw it for what it was. It, it was not the ending. It, it was just the means to the ending. Check out his perspective there in verse 21. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Here we see Paul describing how he wasn't afraid of death. He, he, he didn't run from it. He embraced it because he saw it as a means to a greater good. And I don't know how you define death. You just open up a dictionary. It'll tell you death is the end of life. It's the, the total and permanent cessation of all final functions. It, it, it will describe death as extinction, destruction. And friend, if that's death, that's bad, right? But how does Paul define death? Well, his words say it all. To die is gain. That's how he defines death. Death is gain. Death to Paul wasn't necessarily a good thing in and of itself, but it was a means to a greater thing, which is why he struggled over which is better. Is it better for me to live or is, is it better for me to die? As he says there in verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's in a, you know, between a rock and a hard place about whether it's better for me to die or whether me for, to live. And the reason why, he says, because my, my desire, what I really want, is to die. I really want to die. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. And the reason why that is, because being with Jesus is better. It is far better than what I'm experiencing right now. So that's how Paul sees death. It is to depart. It is a departure. Yes, death was bad, because that's the ultimate consequence of sin. But now that Jesus has died and, and has been buried and has come back to life, and because of that he has conquered death, we know, Paul knows, that death is not the end. That death is but the means to a greater end. That's why Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 these words. Verse 54, when the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, is that how you see death? We've got to see death for what it is. It is gain. It is victory. Because when we die, it's not over, folks. The story hasn't ended for us. It has just begun because we are departing to be with Jesus. Amen? Jill Briscoe wrote this in her book that she entitled It Had to Be a Monday. She was writing about the death of a Christian friend. Here's what Jill wrote. She said, During the funeral visitation, the deceased man's wife and sister stood by the casket greeting people. The sister kept motioning to her brother's body, saying to each person who came to greet her, There he is, there he is. After some time, when the wife could stand it no longer, she turned to her sister-in-law and said in love, If I believed there he is, I would be miserable. And then she added, Do you know what enables me to get through this day? This is the woman, the, the, the widow. She says, Do you know what enables me to get through this day? What gets me through this day is that I know the truth. There he isn't. Isn't it powerful? See death for what it is. Christian, death is not the end. It is just the beginning of being in the presence, the very presence of Jesus every single day for the rest of your existence. Now, that doesn't mean that we pursue death. 
Being alive has its benefits too. Paul's going to acknowledge that. In fact, in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ. And then in verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And then in verse 24, he says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So we take these statements. If it is true that to live is Christ, and if it is true that remaining alive means an opportunity for fruitful labor, if remaining alive is necessary for others, Friend, that places a very great responsibility upon your shoulders and mine, and that is this. This is the the last of three points, that we make the most of our lives. So make the most of your life while you have it. Make the most. You're here, you're alive, you're breathing, your heart is beating. And it's not just to take up space and time. God has placed you here purposefully, so live it for Christ. Live it for His glory and encourage others to do the same. See, it takes courage to die in Christ, but it also takes courage to live for Him. So let me ask you a question. How would you live your life if you knew that you were to die soon? Let's say you go home and this afternoon you go to one of those websites I mentioned, one of those death estimator websites, and you plug it in and there's some algorithmic uh, mistake and it tells you two days from now you're, you're out. And it's right. And if that is true and you believe it, how would you live your life? in those two days, knowing that you would be dying two days later. It's a man by the name of John Brandick who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. and He was told once he received that diagnosis, you have one year to live. And so he, he quit. He decided to get the most out of life. He, he quit his job. He quit paying his mortgage. He used his savings to, to give gifts to friends and family. He, wanted to, he didn't want there to be anything left over when he, when he died, and so he used it all up. He, he w- went on vacations. He frequently dined out. He lived while he could, spending everything. He wasn't going to need it anyway, right? Well, he couldn't have been more wrong. A year later, he went back for his doctor's appointment, and, and the doctor told him that it was a mistake, that his cancer was merely an inflammation of the pancreas. You know, we all have a short time to live, and death is inevitable. So how are you going to live knowing that you're eventually going to die? Are you going to live it up trying to get the most out of this life while you can? Or are you going to live for Jesus? You know, you are going to die, and it's a tragedy that so many of us are just living life trying to get the most out of it that we can for ourselves. The truth is, as a believer, you need to be living your life for Christ. So how are you going to live knowing that you will eventually die? If you are still alive, raise your hand if you are. All right, wait, wait, raise your hand if you're still awake. All right. If, you, if you're still alive, it's for good reason. The Lord wants you to live, He wants you to live with purpose. And I can tell you that it is not so that you can just live it up. It is to live for Christ. It's what Paul refers to in verse 22 as fruitful labor. And reflecting on what fruitful labor really is, he sort of describes it in verses 25 and 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I'll stay alive for a while, and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul here is describing what fruitful labor looks like, and it's really what we need to be producing 
as we continue to live our lives. It's why we are still alive. And here's how we can make the most of our lives. One is to build others up in Christ. You're still alive because the Lord wants to use you to further his gospel message and to help them come to know Jesus and to walk in Jesus. So you are still alive, and here's how you can most make the most of your life is to use your life to build others up in Christ. That's what Paul means when he mentions to the Philippians there in verse 25, I know I'm going to remain, I'm going to continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. As much as Paul desired to die and to go be with Jesus in heaven, he realized that these Philippian believers had spiritual needs and that the Lord was allowing him to remain in this world so that he can help them grow in their faith. Henry James once said, the best use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. And that's what Paul was doing with his life. He was pouring his life into others, pouring into them to build them up and to help them grow in the Lord. And his investment in them would far outlast his life in ministry in, in, this, in this world. And as they progressed in their faith, Paul acknowledged that because God allowed him to continue with them, they would experience joy, the same joy that Paul himself had experienced. And so let me ask you, are you living your life so as to build others up in the faith and to bring them joy? It leads me to another fruitful labor that we can do by living here on earth while we can, and that is to bring glory to Christ. Verse 26 says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Simply put, Paul said his continued existence is going to give him more opportunity to use his life to bring glory to God. These two things, living your life while that you have this life, living your life so as to build others up in Christ and to bring glory to God. If you will do that, friend, I promise you, it will put life and death into perspective, and that perspective will give you courage no matter what. Malcolm Muggeridge, journalist uh, in, from Britain and, and uh, Christian apologist, once made the statement. He said, I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. For these two discoveries, I am beholden to Jesus. Friend, we will never know what joy is like until we give up pursuing happiness in our own uh, ability. Until we give up caring to live, we will never be able to choose to die. But only through Jesus can we care to live for Him. You know, the key verse of this passage, at least one of the key verses, and there's so much here, but one of the key verses is verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you live for Christ, Christian, you have no reason to fear death. If you live for Him, you don't have to worry about the ending. In fact, you can experience joy in the face of death. But you know, there's a corollary to that. What if you're not living for Christ? Well, if living for Christ is gain, then not living for Christ, then to die is loss. So if you're living for money, well, then to die is loss. If you're living for pleasure, then to die is loss. If you're living your life for yourself, then to die is loss. If you're even living for something as noble as your family, if that's what you're living for, then to die is loss. It is only if you live for Christ, then dying is a means to gain and a source of courage and joy. So my challenge to you is simply this, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. If you live for Him, 
recognizing that through a relationship through Him, only through Him, can you be forgiven of your sins. Only by believing and trusting Him can you know Him and walk in Him and to live your life for Him so that when the day comes that He does call you out of this world and you do die, it is not your end, but it is the means to the ultimate ending, and the ultimate ending is forever with Jesus ongoing forever, eternally, ongoing forever and ever to the glory of God. Amen. Amen? Live for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the encouragement. Sometimes, Lord, in our routines of going about all of the things that we have to do in a given day and then in a given week and then in a given month and then in a given year, we sometimes, especially when we're younger, we don't have our eyes toward the ending. And then someone we know gets a difficult word about a terminal illness or someone that we love dies suddenly and it throws it all into our face, our mortality and the fear of our own ending creeps upon us. But Lord, I pray that as we've read this word and heard it proclaimed today that we would truly see that to live as Christ and to die is not loss it is gain and i pray lord that there the believer uh, there be a believer here who's wrestling with a terminal illness or just the fear of death that lord you give them the peace that passes all understanding and that they rest in you and give them that expectant hope that they will be delivered one day knowing that salvation has already been purchased for them and that what awaits for them is glory it's eternally in your presence there's not a greater and more significant and blessed thing than to be with you lord so lord let them rest in that hope in the ultimate ending not in their immediate circumstance but lord i also pray that you give them the strength to endure whatever they must face and that as they do it as difficult as that season may be that they would count it a privilege to suffer for your glory but Lord, knowing that these truths that we've heard this day are only for those who are in Christ, I pray for anyone here today that does not yet know you, that today be the day that they recognize their sin, that Lord, you convict them and lead them to repentance, that today be the day that they surrender their all to you so that they too can be in you and they could live for you, live in Christ, but also one day, be able to say, to die is gain. So have your way, we pray, and we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.